When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion. March is going to be a busy month for the podcast with regular extra weekly shows. On today's show, I caught up with Cheltenham Festival winning jockey Nick Schofield about the season's highlight, which is due to get underway on Tuesday the 16th of March. Nick, who has ridden over 500 winners, went freelance in autumn 2017 after previously being the number two jockey at champion trainer Paul Nichols' yard. Enjoy today's podcast. Hello, Nick. Welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion. Hi, everyone. Um, Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for for coming on the show. Also, thank you to Ilka Gansera-Levesque for the introduction. And I know you've been riding out her horse just once on the gallops at Newmarket. I have indeed, yeah. Um, been been jumping her for a while now. It started last summer and, um, yeah, the progression has continued. And, um, yeah, no, it's, um, she's a good one to have and hopefully she can win for everyone soon. Yeah, I know she's hoping to have a few more jump runners, even thinking of having one over the, the actual jumps, not just the hurdles, isn't she? Yeah, which I'm, I'm sure even just once, the, the horse you, you, you mentioned, um, I'm sure... That, should be able to do so so that would be great yeah there's there's they're few and far between the jump trainers in new market so it'd be nice um if um uh, the ilka could sort of um, establish her name in that that sphere as well now i guess you've been down to the links then to do the the training then for some of that yeah yeah tremendous facilities you know second to none they've got hurdles fences whatever you may need on your weather on the grass so um yeah there's um it's a great place to be and there's a lot, lot of things going on there. Well, thank you. Well, in today's podcast, we're going to talk about your career highs. You've ridden over 500 winners, some of your lows, especially the recent injury you've had, which uh, sounds pretty hairy. But to start with, actually non-racing, but racing question uh, is the budget this week. And obviously, when we had the first lockdown, it stopped you from racing. And as a freelancer, how did that affect you as a jockey financially well it was a strange scenario to be in I think I was riding the Taunton on the Tuesday and then suddenly lockdown come on the Wednesday or Thursday and it's something that no, nobody's been in you know the situation before and it was quite surreal you know you heard reports coming that the virus was on its way but I don't think anyone appreciated the consequences that would happen and certainly I didn't I didn't realize how long it would go on for and how long would stop racing and um, to be honest I didn't really know what to do at, the, at that time because it was quite we were busy racing we going racing every day right now for lots of jump trainers and you know and there was things coming through that we wouldn't be racing for at least three months and etc etc so um a lot of the jump trainers took gave their horses their summer breaks which they, they they usually do and so a lot of the jump trainers just sort of had a, a sort of clear out as it were and let all the horses out in the field and um, which left me obviously with no job and I didn't really know what to do and um, 
so um, obviously the flat trainers are up and running and a few of my mates were riding, decided to go into flat yards, you know, and just earn a bit of pocket money riding out. So um, I sort of followed suit, went to Newmarket, which I hadn't never done before and I hadn't been to Newmarket other than the jockey racing school. And um, so it was a big experience. And um, thankfully, James Fanshaw uh, gave me a job and I sort of did three, four lots for him every every morning. <laughs> um, I think for three months, four months solid and rode lots of work on all lots of different gallops. and. Did a bit of jumping while we were there and, um, you know, it was a great experience and um, something I probably never have done if this didn't come about, this, you know, pandemic. And I'm fortunate that um, um, I was able to keep busy and keep the horses and keep out in the fresh air and keep safe and, um, you know, do something while, the, while all of this was going on. Oh, sounds like it was a, a, a worthwhile experience, although obviously a bit worrying at the time when... Uh... You couldn't suddenly ride at Aintree and Punchestown and places like that. Well, quite. You know, we missed a lot. But, um, you know, considering what things were going on at the time, it was um, we were in a fortunate position. So, um, but, you know, it was a bit surreal, you know, what happened. And, you know, I don't think anyone quite seen it coming, the routine. And, um, you know, that was, you know, it was, you know, truly grateful to to have done what I'd done and learned a lot while I was there. But talking about unfortunate incidents, you, you suffered a, a freak injury at Fontwell in November. Can you let listeners know what actually happened and the injuries you suffered? Um, so I'd, I'd had a few rides the previous day at Fontwell. I think I had six rides on the day and on my third ride I won and then the fourth ride had come in. I think I finished about fourth or fifth and um, was just pulling up as you do on a normal normal day and was undoing my breast scuff and there was a loose horse running loose with no bridle on and uh, I didn't see it coming and it's basically come side on to me and collided and as the horse collided with my horse my horse was sort of stuck in the middle of the shoulders so um, um fractured my tib and fib in three places very painful at the time got rushed off to a hospital near Brighton and got stuck there obviously with the Covid and my my mum was going to come up and see me but they wouldn't let her in and it was all a bit dramatic at the time but um, thankfully I got shipped off to a specialist in London and he did a very good operation on me but um, you know um, I think Covid uh, was the longest time I've ever had off being a jockey and that was what four months I think from race to race and then with this injury, it's been another three months. So it's it's been a bit of a last year or the last the whole of so from now year year to year. Haven't actually had much racing. So um, uh, it's been the longest time I've I've missed um, while I've been a jockey. And it's um, you know I've done a lot of things that I've probably never have normal done normally done. But it was a uh, it was quite a uh, experience. Yeah, and and what's it like as a jockey when you're you're not riding do you like to watch the racing on the telly or or do you want to try and get away from from that yeah i'm i'm a bit of a racing geek now i i, I do actually enjoy racing enjoy horses and i enjoy watching them and enjoy just enjoying the whole thing about racing and even when you you, go, you can't participate i still like following the horses that you've been riding or even if you haven't been riding them i still enjoy the competitive nature and watching what other jockeys are doing trainers and owners and reading and all you know there's plenty of aspects within the sport that you can keep an eye on and that generally does keep you busy and 
yeah so it, you know I kept on doing that but it's, it's one of them things that when you, you do you get in a routine of road riding every day when you're not there doing it, it's, it it takes you out of your comfort zone so um I was probably out of my comfort zone for a, a lot of last year <laughs> yeah I can imagine how, how long were you in hospital for it was nearly 10 days which just in a room because and um, with nobody allowed in no visitors or anything which is understandable with what was going on but it was a long it felt a long long time I can promise you and um yeah no it's the worst injury I've had I've broken my femur before and I've broken a lot of bones but always sort of six to eight weeks I was always back on a horse um but just the nature of this injury I was just it just wasn't healing quickly and um you know I had lots of supplements did everything that I was asked and I just pushed the boundaries whatever I could but it just wasn't I couldn't get back in the six to eight weeks that I wanted, but I think speaking to Ruby Wall, she did a similar injury and um, he, he took three or four months to come back from it. And it's just one of them things you, you have to give time to. And as frustrating as that is, and um, you sort of have to do it. But the great thing is now I'm, I'm back and I feel as good as ever. So, you know, it's uh, hopefully it'll make me stronger in the long run. And presumably you went to Oaksy House as well. Yeah, yeah, so Peter O'Sullivan, Oaks House, and the Injured Jockeys Fund are tremendously supporting all the jockeys, you know, from from if you only have five rides to 500 rides, they, they literally cater for everyone, and the facilities are there are fantastic. They, they, you know, from whatever aspect, from nutrition to financial, whatever you may need, they, they, they offer you, and you can't thank them enough for what they, you know, they, they do. And, you know, I'm really appreciated of you know they certainly strengthened up my leg and got me back riding probably than anyone else would have you know well that's good to hear now going back to your very uh, beginnings I, I read your your father was a point-to-point jockey is that how you first got interested in horses because of your father yeah well from my mother and father my mum used to sort of like show horses and things like that my dad was a point-to-point jockey he was champion in 1989 uh, national champion since passed away but um he uh he i think i used to go to the point of points and you know amateur races and he took me to cheltenham and all the the race courses and uh i used to ride a lot of ponies when i was younger i sort of from probably as, as soon as i could walk i was on a horse so um i i did a lot of showing when i was um sort of under 10 years old I, I won a horse the year show Royal International the Royal you know all over the country riding for different people and um, then I sort of went into show jumping after 10 and represented England and did a lot of things and um, rode a horse the year show Royal International um, Hickstead and did all of that and you know my, I think my mother wanted me to get an education and carry on the show jumping because it was all going very well but because I got that bug off my father, you know, being a jockey, and um, that was the route I wanted to go down. And as soon as sort of I was sixteen, and I was booked in to go to college, and uh, someone my dad knew had a one in novice riders race at a local point point at Black Forest Lodge, and he was a blacksmith. The fellow that trained it was of course a mare called No Air Lady, and she wasn't biggest, but she had previous good form. And anyway, I sort of had my first ride there. You know, thought I was a proper jockey. Rode really short, toe in the iron, and you know, like all, all the gear, no idea sort of thing. And um, anyway, I was going right around the inside, like everything was going, looking like the winner. Come to the last ditch, just must have seen a stride that not even AP McCoy would have thought. Was possible um outside the wings going for a big picture anyway she didn't quite make it 
you know, turned the somersault and um, broke my collarbone. So my first ride was a bit of a disaster, really. Well, as I was walking back in, um, champion trainer Paul Nichols was there, who's who's like obviously the best jump trainers around. So I said to my dad, I was boy, you know, does he want to be a jockey? And he said, well, I don't know after this, but he goes, oh, if you ever want a job, tell him to give me a call. So anyway, obviously I had that on the table and should I go to college? Should I go show jumping? Should I, you know, stick to what I'm doing? And thought there was different things that I could have done. And um, anyway, I decided to, um, after a lot of, you know, thought I'd go to Paul Nichols's, you know, as instead of going to college, which to my mum's disgrace, I'd imagine wasn't probably the best thing, but um, um, packed my bags and yeah, 16 and went and stayed at Paul Nichols's, worked there full time for a number of years. And I was quite fortunate. Um, he got me going really early and um, I got me in with Richard Barber, who was champion point to point trainer at the time um, since, since passed, passed away. And uh, he, um, he got me going and his stable jockey sort of was retiring at the time, Rachel Green. And so I took over all the rides and was riding some real proper 1833 Alpi sharing and in maiden point of points for the likes of Paul Barber and winning on them around Lark Hill and big tracks. And he made me champion novice that year. The first year I was there, I was champion novice and That's broke the start, record and with 25 winners. So, um, yeah, good it was, uh, you know, thanks so you, so you- Paul put me in touch with Richard Barber. Yeah. So you got a job with, with Paul Nichols having broken your collarbone? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. But, you know, Paul's, you know, I've always got on extremely well and he, you know, very grateful for the leg up he gave me. And, you know, he was, you know, we had us, he worked us hard. Like when we went there, Harry Skelton was there, Ian Popham, Liam Hurd, Christian Williams, Sam Thomas. There was so many good people. I think there's a lot of trainers, Alistair Ralph, George Scott, Joe Hill. There was a lot of other you know, people have gone on and, you know, carried on what he's taught them. And he was a great mentor and he'd call a spade a spade and he'd tell you when you messed up or if he'd tell you if you've um, done wrong and, you know, it's always stood by you and, you know, what he taught you and the leg up. He, you know, I think by the time I was uh, 19, I'd run Grand National Gold Cup, you know, and all of the festivals and there's not many trainers that can give you that at such a young age. Young age, no. If I can just go back, um, you rode your first winner on the 24th of, under rules, on the 24th of November 2006 on a horse called Lou de Milan Mass um, in an amateurs race at Newbury. How many rides did you have before you rode your first winner and, and what did it feel like to, 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 to ride your first winner? I remember it clearly because um, I'd had point-to-point rides, but it's not not quite the same as going on the track. And when you walk into the change rooms, you see A.P. McCoy, Mick Fitzgerald, Timmy Murphy, Barry Garrity, Ruby Walsh. You know, it's, when you're like 16 years old, it's very daunting because you sort of, it's not just about riding in the race. It's like going into the change rooms with them. And like, they were all my heroes growing up. But I think um, I you know, was probably very nervous on that, that stage because you want to do well and you want to show what people you can do. And, you know, Newbury's a big track to have your first rider. And thankfully it went on to win. I think Charlie Longston was, uh, no, Jamie Snowden was second on Castino too um, for, for Charlie Longston. And um, we got up to win. I probably didn't look my best, but I, 
I felt I gave it a good ride until the ride and the finish. But when I see myself on the replay, I, I felt I had to improve riding a finish because I saw everything went right. So, so. But I say in 2008, well, the spring of 2008, you rode a couple of grade three winners, uh, one of them in the Scottish champion hurdle. What did they do for your confidence? Yeah, you, you gradually get busy at people, sort of, they were for different trainers and like, when you're young, you just want to ride everything and just win everything and just you think everything's kind of easy. But if you, you, you fall, sort of, you sort of, whatever you get on, it's like 100 to 1. You know, it's the same now. It's just like a sportsman's mentality. You just like, you think you can win. And, you know, especially uh, when I started off, I think the, the first like, Scottish champion hurdle was something like 100 to 1. And but I wouldn't have like even probably known that at the time. And it's just like, you just went and won. And, you know, you, you don't actually appreciate what you've won. You sort of like, you look into the next day and, the next day and you don't think oh, you almost expect it to happen at that, at that young age. In the early part of the, the, the next decade, you were well established at, at Paul Nichols riding 50 or 60 winners a season. And two horses I wanted to talk to you about, which you had a lot of success on, uh, Melodic Rendezvous and Irving. You won eight races on the first one for Jeremy Scott and five on Irving for Paul Nichols. Uh, how special were those two horses for you? Yeah, they both gave me grade one winners. So any horse that gives you those sort of calibre of winners, lifts your profile, lifts your, you know, to that to that grade one level. And they were both proper, decent two-mile hurdlers. And, you know, two-mile hurdlers at full pace. There was no, I, I still stick by it now. When Irving was on song and he was sound, there was no horse that could sort of catch him. And unfortunately, he was plagued with injury. And I don't think you've ever seen the best of him, but... When he was on his day, he was he was exceptional, and um, and Melodic Rendezvous used to make when the when it was really muddy, no horse could stick with him in the mud, and he just relished it. And he, you know, horses like that they don't come around, and I was very fortunate that they were very close together, and they actually started clashing a bit when sort of, and I had to pick between the two, which was impossible at times, but because they've both been so good to me, Melodic Rendezvous gave me my first Grade One winner in the Tollworth. And Irving won the fighting fifth at Newcastle, and it, they were both, you know, tremendous animals in their own rights, but to look totally different as well at the same time. You decided to move from Paul's in October 2017 to go freelance. You've spoke very highly about Paul. Why did you make that decision, and were you sad to leave? I don't know. It's, it was um, there's a number of things. Um, I, my last. Sort of that season, I ran a grade one on San Benedito at Aintree, but I sort of was riding a lot for other people at the time. And you know, it can, when you're playing sort of second fiddle or third fiddle at Ditch, it, it you, you're waiting to where the other jockeys go and you're missing out on other opportunities. So, um, and you sort of just got to, um, got to do what you think's right at the time and pick up a lot of other trainers on the back of it. And, um, you know, there's you know, still continue. You know, Paul still texts me now. We still get on very, very well. And, you know, I'm sure I would always pop in there if ever I could. And what are the different challenges of uh, riding freelance? More driving. <laughs> yeah, I put down here more <laughs> mileage. So it's, uh, at least the roads are better these days than they were. Yeah. Um, no, because 
I suppose you, you've got to understand what different people like from their horses. Every trainer is different and every trainer likes their horses ridden in a different way. And I sort of knew what Paul liked. And, but, I, you know, there's still trainers that I continue to ride for since I've been starting. Jeremy Scott, as you mentioned earlier, trained a lot at Rendezvous. I think I've rode over, over 100 winners for him now. And um, I think you, you get an understanding with the trainer, you know, what they want and what we can achieve for each other. And um, you, you sort of got to work out, you know, try and build up a partnership with the trainer. So um, you're both on the same wavelength, what, what you want to happen, really, to get the best out of the horses. Well, one race you no doubt would like to win, and you nearly won in 2013 with T for three when you came third, is the, is the Grand National. I watched the race myself um, earlier today and you jumped the last sort of sort of joint leader. Actually, I think you were the leader as you jumped the last. How big a thrill was that? And did you at any stage think you were going to win the race? He Throughout, it's a three, four miles three and that was back when the, the fences were, you know, had the proper, they weren't quite as safety as what they are now. And they were, he jumped from fence to fence and like the whole way around, I promise you I had the best time ever. Like he, he was foot perfect. He, you know, when he, when I asked him for a big one, he'd come up or vice versa. He was, he was absolutely exceptional that day. And he, he, he truly deserved to win because I just felt like he jumped. He just, everything went right, but just a better handicapped horse on the day probably come and did him late on. And you didn't quite see out the distance. Like, he, he ran a similar race, Tony McCoy rode in the time before in the Welsh National, a few races before, and he didn't quite see the four miles out, but maybe if he had a bit less quite, he might have kept going. But, you know, he still ran, finished third in the Grand National is exceptional. And he's, you know, he was, that was a, one of the best rides I've had in a race. You know, he was, to get a horse to ride like him over the national fences was, was fantastic. And have you got any potential rides lined up for this year's race? Um, hopefully, but you never quite know. I've been off so long, so obviously other jockeys have won on them. But if I can stay fit in one piece and get a few winners under my belt now, hopefully the opportunity will arise. So we'll hope for the best. <laughs> well, there's no Tiger Roll now. It's not going to run, is it? So No, the weight's come out, yeah. And the other thing that's coming up fairly soon is, is the festival at Cheltenham. Uh, you must be looking forward to that. Again, have you got some potential rides there? Yeah, hopefully. Um Obviously, in the handicap, it's always hard just at this stage um, what's going to get in and what's not because you, uh, the Cheltenham Festival is so prestigious and you've got to have such a high rating to get into the race. So um, there's horses, lots of horses entered um, until it's sort of close to the time in the handicaps, you don't know. Sky Pirate in the graded race, he's a definite. Papatanga too, Charlie might go, I think. And uh, Jeremy Scott has a couple. So um, there's bits and bobs there and cross-country race would with a bit of luck but um there's bits and bobs there that we might get so um you just um both my winners um that I've had before I didn't sort of know I was riding them to the week before so I'm not complaining just yet <laughs> no so you, you expect to ride Sky Pirate because obviously it's when you've been injured it's been been racing but you're going to get back on that one yeah yeah I have an association with the owner so that's quite nice and he's really supportive and he ran a nice race at Warwick slightly disappointing but we're hoping that there's better ground will rejuvenate him and he seems I think he, he comes to himself in the spring bit of sun on his back I'm sure he'll improve a lot so will he be running in the arc I'm not sure he's he might go up in trip so he might he, there's plenty of options he's also in over hurdles um we're Basically, he's entered in lots of races and he's going to make a decision at the time 
on what the weather does and what the other races are looking like. And you said you've run a, won a couple of uh, races at the festival. Uh, how special is that to win at the festival? Yeah, I promise you, I've been there quite a lot. I think every year now, um, bar one when I was injured, but you go there with high hopes every time and you always, you know, you believe you can win. And more times than not, you come out disappointed because it's just such a hard place. The Irish come over, it's, it's so competitive and you can run a fantastic race and finish eighth sometimes. And you think, blooming now, how you know, why did I get that so wrong? But the, the, the competitive nature of the race is the best of the best. And um, there's no other else like it. It's a tricky track. It's fast, it's furious. And when you actually do get your <coughs> head in front to win at that, you know, it's, it's what my school friends watch. It's what, you know, people watch Cheltenham, but they wouldn't watch Tuesday or Wednesday at other meetings. So, um, you know, when you get a race there, it's it's the pinnacle. And, you know, that's our Olympics, really. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like the Olympics. Uh, it's going to be a diff- bit different this year with no crowds, of course. Yeah, it'll be surreal, but I suppose you've got to look at it. Like We're lucky to be there and um, probably might never, you know, at least you can say you rode on this year. It's probably looked back on, you know, it's never been done before and, you know, it's going to be one of them things. <laughs> I imagine, though, when, when crowds come back, that will be a big lift for jockeys, you know, rather than riding in silence. Wow, yeah. When you get out onto the track, though, you you try and forget the the, the occasion. You you concentrate on the race, your horse, and you know. So it's sort of the the the, the, the it won't be the same when you win to have the celebration with all the people cheering and things like that, and the, before the race and all the things that lead up to it. But when you're in actually in the race, you, you tend to just concentrate on what's happening around you, not not what the crowd is. So um. You know, as far as the race is concerned, I'm not sure it'll be. The horses might be a bit more calmer because, you know, they haven't got the atmosphere that's going to be buzzing them up, which could help some, might not help others. But, um, yeah. you know, in that aspect, it might be slightly different. But, you know, we just got to take it as it comes, I guess. Well, thank you very much for that. And thank you very much for being on the paddock and the pavilion. Good luck for the festival. Good luck when you're riding uh, Ilka's horses, especially as she introduced me to you for the program so i'll be looking out for you next week if you ride for her and thank you again for being on the program Uh, i really appreciate you having me and um, i enjoyed your show last week so um, thank you thanks very much thank you for listening to the paddock and the pavilion you can download the show on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher and spotify follow us on twitter and facebook at the pad and pad Podcast Network.